what are our beliefs about the value of in-person, the value of remote work, and how are we going to express that as a why? You know, Simon Sinek, right? Always start with the why. Why do we believe this to be important? And what then are the decisions we're going to make that are going to provide principles or some structure that people can organize around? Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Alan Richardson. And Alan is the Senior Vice President of Talent Strategy and Solutions at the Royal Bank of Canada. Uh, Alan, welcome to the Inspire podcast. Thanks for having me, Bart. Yeah, and I should say, welcome back. <laughs> you know, <you're, laughs> we're gonna cut to the real conversation that we had it's a great conversation. We had it, I think, three or four weeks ago. And the topic, to, as, as anyone can see from the title of this podcast, is about the return to office and the decision that was made some six or seven months ago by RBC, and it came from your CEO, Dave McKay, that we want our employees back in the office more. And the mm -hmm. reason we're recording this intro again is that even since we recorded it in the you know kind of month gap, Dave has come out in public and said, we want you back more. So maybe you could just quickly, because that won't be, that new decision won't be referenced in the pod. Can you just tell listeners what is new since we record the podcast and the rationale behind it? Yeah, and we do talk about some of the sort of factors behind this decision to, to sort of restate our emphasis on days in the office again publicly. But it really what's behind it is one, a desire to simplify and be more consistent in our expectations. And that was something that we were finding holding us up where we had different expectations around numbers of days in different groups across the bank, even though everyone was nominally hybrid in those groups. Some were two days, some were three days, some were four days. So we really heard confusion and sort of lack of understanding what that meant and maybe a sense of equity that that was missing and so the the first step was just let's make that more consistent and and easily understandable what the expectation was i think the second part of it is as we've experienced the way we've been managing through hybrid ways of working we've appreciated more the real value for us in what it means to come together and I think the message sort of fine-tuned our articulation of why it's really important. And, and, and the point that we made was, you know, how are we performing as an organization and as a team together? I think we don't doubt that people can be extremely effective, especially on individual work from a remote setting. And we found people to be very productive and our performance has been quite strong. But could it be even stronger if we came together where the moments have mattered for collaboration, for mentoring, for problem solving? And, and could we do those better for physically proximate? And I know we talk a bit about more, more about that in the podcast, so I won't go into it in great detail. But those were, I would say, the two driving forces behind sort of re-upping the message, if you will. 
Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. And I think, you know, re-listening to our pod, what strikes me is just the humility and care with which the organization has been navigating that. And so I'm sure there'll be many more of those conversations internally to come and just provide some additional value on the insights you share. So with that, let's turn to the pod. Sounds good. There were so many different conversations we we talked about having. We talked about, you know, do we talk about the new imperatives for talent development in this in this world? Do we talk about how RBC is reshaping leadership development? But but I think in the end we rejected those in favor of the hot topic here we are in 2023, which is how companies are navigating a return to premises. And six months ago, uh, your CEO Dave McKay. Uh, posted uh, publicly a message, and I just want to quote from it about the return to work. He said, you know, there's, there are a lot of divergent perspectives around hybrid working in the headlines today. My view continues to be that these flexible work models are here to stay and the role of the office has changed. And then I'll, I'll kind of jump forward to say, that's why starting next month, we're asking teams across the bank to start coming together in person more often to work and collaborate. Many of RBC's mm-hmm. best moments happen when people are together. Uh, and so uh, I encourage anyone who hasn't read the full post to go on LinkedIn and read it. But it ends with, I'm confident we'll find the right balance as we continue to build our hybrid working model for the future. And in your role, you, of course, see across the whole bank. And so you, you've alluded mm-hmm. to that, that you, you have visibility and you have conversations uh, with leaders of all the different business units. So yeah. when you look at that and you, you've talked about the differences, what would you say, I'll ask you to generalize, what has worked in terms of what Dave had signaled you hope for and what has not worked six months in? Yeah, I mean, I think those that are coming into the office when we are thoughtful and planful about it, let's be in the office these days. You know, let's make sure we're putting our team meetings, our collaboration sessions, mentorship all the things that really benefit from an in-person connection, um, let's make sure we're prioritizing those days for those things. And I think where you see that for social, truthfully, I mean, virtual social is all well and fun, but like there's nothing like getting together and having a laugh over in the lunchroom, right? And, And I think where we've done that in a thoughtful, planful way, we're seeing really great pickup. We see people excited to be in the office. But we also see them being more thoughtful and effective about how they're spending their time. Um, Because the truth is, if you come into the office and you're spending your whole time on WebEx or trying to do heads down work (laughs) on an open concept layout, we're not making a good use of your time (laughs) in the office, right? right? So, so, So what I see, and it's really interesting, is where we've been dare I say, even more structured, because we are talking about flexibility, but it's funny where it's one of those dichotomies. You need structure to create effective flexibility. Where we've been more structured, I think we're having more success. I know you and I spoke last year about the kind of structure in HR or talent management that you provide. Maybe you could just mm-hmm. share that, because I, I, that really resonated the way you, you directed the three days that people should be in to be used. Yeah, so RBC sort of in in HR, we've uh, agreed that in principle, we want to be in three days a week. So my team thought about what does that look like? And we agreed that those three days should have three different purposes. The first we called our anchor day. And that was the day you're in with your team, with the group that you're part of. Um, and so it was sort of on the, the senior leader to to work with the team to figure out what day that was. The second day we called our partner day. So that was when individuals or individual pods would look at 
Who do we partner with the most outside of our team? And let's work with them to figure out a day when it makes sense to come in and partner. And then the third day we called our flex day. And that was sort of the day that could be any day of the week. You come in when it makes sense for you. You come in when, uh, when, when you need to. Um, but also maybe the day that you're a bit more flexible if you need to work from home. Um, and that seems to have worked quite well. And I mean, if if I just take this sort of survey of one of my experience on the 11th floor, you know, we've generally picked Tuesday and Wednesday as both our anchor and partner days. And so you come into the office and you, you know, run into folks and you just have those sort of momentary, spontaneous connections uh, that, you know, walking the halls has always done for us. And uh, and that's been really, really lovely. At the same time, you know, I, I work from home most Mondays and Fridays. Those days are set up to be days when I'm on a lot of virtual calls with my global team. So I've got a team around the world and I still want to be inclusive of that team around the world. So um, that's worked out, I think, really well. And, and, and it's... Um, you know, the, the simple framing has actually helped the team really structure. You know, I think some people go a bit further, like you're coming in Tuesday, Wednesday, and you're coming in Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday. And that helps you balance out maybe real estate challenges or things like that, but also just make sure that everybody who is there is there on the right. same day. And that's really what right. it's all about. You show up and you're not just on Zoom. So, yeah, so those are some great, great thoughts. You know, the benefits of the social, the benefits, of the mentorship, and then providing the structure that creates mm-hmm. the connection. What hasn't worked or what are you hearing from the business leaders that hasn't worked uh, in the last six months about this return to premises? Yeah, I mean, I think there. so a lack of structure tends to reduce enthusiasm, right? So if people come in and they have a few experiences where they spend their whole day on Zoom or there's no one in the office, that quickly sort of goes, why am I here again? Why am I spending time on my commute? I think as well, you know, you have to have the flexibility and we always try and leave time for folks to work into it because we have set up our lives. You know, when we look a year ago, we had set up our lives to work around a remote setting. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a little bit of time to unwind some of that uh, if you know you're gonna be in the office. Again, one of the reasons why structure helps is it helps you plan for that, as opposed to saying, oh, hey, I'm just gonna suddenly, you know, hop in the car or hop on a streetcar and come into the office, which actually for some, especially with kids or dependents, can be a lot harder than just, hey, I'm right. just going to j- jump on the, on the on, you know, walk down the street. So, so I think that that lack of structure doesn't help. I think as well, there are sort of misconceptions as to what we're looking for on both sides, right? I think there's a sense of employees that sort of reluctance, do you actually, is there a lack of trust here? And I don't think this is a trust at all. I think this is more about where are we most effective as a group and as a team? But I think there's a misperception sometimes that that's the issue. I think on senior leaders, you know, on the flip side, there's the perception of, you know, where am I getting the most effective and productive use out of the right. team? And so you kind of have these disjointed opinions on on it that, again, if you're not really having a good, robust conversation and being deliberate and intentional about how you're doing hybrid, uh, I think you can have a lot of just sort of irritations that that really could go away quite quickly if you if you had a a robust you know way of thinking about it and talking about it yeah and i think that's that's really helpful and you know showcasing that just making the decision sending people back isn't enough and 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 also that you as leaders have to kind of you can't just say the decision's done we're finished Uh, you know what what Mm -hmm. we spoke about when we were preparing for this conversation is that this kind of 
path back has prompted new conversation, new questions and new conversations. Let's move to that first question. You just mentioned it when you talked about misconceptions. And, and if I frame what I heard when we were discussing, the first question is really one about uh, for, that leaders are asking or should be asking themselves, which is, what are we really after here with this return to work? Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that question and what's and the conversation that people should be having uh, from it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is this is really where the sort of root of the opportunity is. I think we are misconstruing a challenge of communication distance, and I'll explain what I mean by that, with a challenge of physical distance. Communication distance is the distance in the sense of time lag between my ability to work with you, to solve problems with you, to iterate something with you, you know, an example of a communication distance you and I were chatting about is the Cuban Missile Crisis, where Russia and the U.S. all got to the brink right. of nuclear war because they had no way of picking up a phone and talking to each other and understanding neither of them wanted this right. and solving the problem together. And and obviously the red line was an outcome of that, which was a direct line between the president and the uh, general secretary in, in USSR. That sort of distance is a communication distance. And and I see that in the way that we're working, that if you're not using productivity tools effectively, collaboration tools effectively, yeah, someone working from home has a large communication distance compared to someone working beside you where the communication distance is benefiting from the closeness from a physical distance standpoint. Hmm. But the truth is, and you see this over and over again, if you look into different organizations and how they work, there are the tools, there are the methods, there are the routines that can close communication distance no matter where you're situated. And so I think the, the first question you have to ask yourself is, what are we solving for? And if it's communication distance versus physical distance, then let's actually make sure that we're solving that not just through the single right. lever of in-person, but actually looking at all the levers we should be pulling. Do our people know how to use their tools? Right. Do we have the right routines and are we putting the right type of work in the right type of setting, asynchronous versus synchronous? Those sorts of questions to me offer a broader suite of solutions to close the communication distance, which I think personally is at the root of a lot of the challenges that we see mm-hmm. uh, with remote, unstructured remote or hybrid work. And and so that's that's where I'm starting. Yeah, no, and by the way, I have to say as a, as a historian, I love that you, you, we get to work some history. <laughs> but this is where people are saying, I've, I've told my, I'm telling people to come back to work to the office and yep. then those employees are frustrated because they said I'm still on Zoom. So they've the right. physical distance has been closed, but really there's been no change in the communication distance and so it's a recipe for frustration. Is that is that the distinction there of those two? I hadn't actually made that connection but that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it, it, and that's where the frustration comes because they're right. saying you this is what you're describing as the problem. But this lever is not solving the problem because the distance still exists. And I haven't changed my communication norms. No. Like, what is the key then in the conversations that you're having with executives? What is the key to closing communication distance that returning to premises actually helps? Yeah. So what I think is true is 
there are certain things that in-person does do for you. Okay. Um, and one of those things is trust and, you know, stronger tie relationships versus, say, weaker tie relationships. Now, why is that important? Well, one of the things that creates communication distance is if there's a lack of trust or a lack of connection. So if you think about in person, not as actually the place where the problem is going to be solved, but the place where you're going to put in the architecture for problem solving because you're going to build the strength of relationships and trust, well, then you're going to focus your time in person on things that are going to build those relationships, build the trust. And then when it doesn't matter whether you're remote or, or, or in person, when a problem happens, you've got that basis of trust, the foundation of trust to work into to solve that problem effectively. I've already mentioned it. I think the other thing is there is still this major gap at so many large organizations, and RBC is not immune from this, between the capability of the technical architecture we've already put in place around communication and collaboration and our ability to use it and hmm. deploy it. And, and I think that's something that personally in my learning days, I started to see more fully. And it's still a priority of mine to say, how do I continue to upskill people around using those tools in a way that promotes the type of work they're doing, that makes them more enabled to do the work they need to do and to solve problems. And, and I think that if, you, if we had really good skill sets around the use of those tools, uh, productivity collaboration tools, you would actually see communication distance close substantially, and perhaps even to the point we had earlier, more than just a simple closure of the physical distance does. And so first conversation and question is really, what are we after here and being willing to have those conversations? Now, the second question that we talk, so that's really a leader conversation, manager conversation. The second question, though, is with the employee. You know, you and we've, again, mentioned this. You have employees who have returned to premises and said, why am I here? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, and some of them are saying, you know, don't you trust me? To your point. Others are saying, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have a. Uh, senior executive uh, at the bank web coach who was, we were working on a town hall and this individual was frustrated because they had issued the return to premises and the employees in the anonymous town hall said, you know, we delivered incredible performance the last few years. How dare you do this to us? <laughs> so, you know, it's, <laughs> this individual is like, how, how should we handle that? Because A, it's true. They did deliver great mm -hmm. performance, but yep. there's this. So the trust piece. And then the other piece yep. is around the experience and you've alluded to the need for structure and so forth so expand a bit on that conversation is that conversation have, happening and what kinds of conversations should be happening or are happening uh in response to it yeah i mean i'll step back a second and say i think one thing employers have to recognize is employees have got a very strong voice now and that's in part because with social media, they can see others' employees with the same opinions making the same points and their strength in numbers. But there's also, truthfully, even though I would say the economy is slowing, there's still a lot of power right now in the talent marketplace for the, for the candidate, for the employee. They've got a lot of say. And so there's, there's, you have to recognize that they have to have a voice in this decision making because otherwise they will, they will speak with their feet and they will walk. 
And and so why are they here? What are you what are you giving them to to create an experience that's going to say, wow, that actually was really meaningful. And I was really excited to be in the office. And again, I think it's actually, you know, many of the same types of things we've been talking about, but just taken from an employee lens, right? Um, the research is suggesting one of the groups that's quite excited to be back in the office is uh, the younger generations. Why is that? I mean, they're the digital natives. Right? Right. Like, why would they <laughs> need to be in the office? Well, because they recognize that they don't get the same level of mentorship and coaching remotely, because that is inherently a, a task that benefits from both communication, small communication distance and small physical distance, because I can observe you. I can see what you're doing. I can you know, ask a question, but of a more personal nature in a quiet setting. Or, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, I can pull you into a meeting that you hadn't planned on attending. Right. So it, there's there's less need for the structure that's required when you're doing remote work. So so that's something they're looking for. And they've recognized that that's actually benefits from being in the office. But then when you bring them into the office, make sure you bring them into that meeting. Make sure you take the time for lunch and a mentoring chat. Make sure you're connecting them to others in the office so that they have people they can go connect with and build relationships with. And, you know, so that's sort of helping them develop their career. And so that's a good, probably they're some of the best remote workers that are there, but they still want to be in the office, <laughs> right? And on on the flip side, we know we talk about parents, but but you, you can talk about any number of groups that have been greatly benefited from remote and are looking for at the return to premise with suspicion <laughs> right. because they feel like that was something that disadvantaged them. Um, and you know, there's a lot of research around our BIPOC community. There's a lot of research around women now that are showing that in fact the pandemic was in many ways terrible in many ways actually not a bad thing and one of the ways it was was equity at work and and so how are we making sure that they feel confident that they feel the experience in coming back to the office is not going to be a lot of senior leaders like all the good old days of pre-pandemic i'm not sure that BIPOC colleagues would talk about the good old days of pre-pandemic. <laughs> right. So right. What, what is that? How are we creating a better experience, a more equitable, inclusive experience in the office for folks, physical disabilities? Another great example, right? Like, how do you get them in the office? They can work extremely effectively from home. They're all set up for success at home, right? So I think you have to be very considerate of the employee experience. And because of the power that voice has, because of their power in the marketplace right now as talent, you have to include that in the decision making. So how do you do that? I think, you know, you've got your classic sort of surveys and listening and uh, focus groups and really engaging them that way. But I actually think that back to the point of structure, this is where those effective conversations that a people leader has with their team. This is about enrolling your team and deciding what are those standards and principles that are going to work best for us. So it's not about you handing down a decision and saying, this is it. This is the way we're going to do. It's about you opening up yourself as a leader and saying, I want this to work for all of us. How are we going to create some structure that's going to work and make our team most effective? So, so let's dig into that a bit, because I think that's, you know, that sounds very enlightened, right? That we're, you're going to, it also sounds like a lot of work you know, for leaders mm -hmm. to say. So yeah. what's the balance that you're advising your, your leaders on? At what point do they say, hey, we're open to, we're open to your input. We're open to your, your, to hearing your desires versus 
we can't please everyone and we recognize there will be some impact. How are you advising senior people across the bank to navigate that that yeah. spectrum? I, I think the first, at, a, at an organizational level, you have to appreciate the different roles are going to need a different balance. Hmm. So right? it's not one size actually, fits all. <laughs> it's not one size fits all. And and if you're trying to create one size fits all, I think there's a there's a challenge okay. there. Um, you know, if you just take the bank as an example, we have, you know, people who've been in the branches five days a week. Right. Uh, they were never the remote. The pandemic, <laughs> they were never remote. Right. And 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 they look at hybrid messaging and they're like, you know, obviously it doesn't pertain to me. And so, you know, their experience is one set. You've got um, folks in operations, in our advice teams that uh, are remote and we've you know gone to distributed work and so they are primarily remote or fully remote and then obviously you have a lot of knowledge work a lot of you know technical teams and things like that that are you know hybrid and and we're you know that's really where we're trying to strike the right balance so i think just even at that high level understanding the different needs for different jobs is an important one i think then the second thing to think about is you know what are our beliefs and and Dave in his note is very eloquent on that, right? What are our beliefs about the value of in-person, the value of remote work, and how are we going to express that as a why? You know, Simon Sinek, right? Always start with the why. Why do we believe this to be important? And what then are the decisions we're going to make that are going to provide principles or some structure that people can organize around? But then I think you have to give a fair amount of latitude in the how. We've we've asked you to come in the office more often, and we think that the right balance for this type of role is three days a week. Fantastic. Let's, you know, let the teams make decisions around how are we going to do that best for us and give them some parameters of what are the guardrails for that type of conversation. But what's really important then is that you hold your people managers accountable to have those conversations. Because again, the failure mode here is unstructured hybrid. So if you are not going to, if you believe that there are there is a need to sort of make decisions at a more local level, you know, then you can manage from the top down. But you also believe that unstructured hybrid is really the primary failure mode. It's probably the least effective you know, between remote the worst of all worlds, <laughs> it's the worst of all worlds, right? So then, so then between the two of those things, who has to step up, your people managers, people mm-hmm. leaders have to step up and take accountability to have that open conversation within whatever guardrails and principles you set to talk with your team and say, how are we going to do this thoughtfully and intentionally as a team? And if they do that, and if they hold their accountability, I think that's where you're going to see the performance uplift. So for me, what I'm looking at is how do I get to the people managers and make them believe that? So what are those guardrails? I'm really curious. You know, you have this kind of the macro piece from Dave. You know, we want to be back Mm -hmm. more three days a week. Okay, what are so manager comes to you says, okay, you're giving me latitude, but what are the guardrails? So what what do you and does Mm -hmm. it vary by business unit or is it there is Mm -hmm. a, a bank wide set of guardrails? Yeah, it does vary by business unit. One is this type of role, right? So what type of role are we in? And therefore, where are we on this spectrum of fully remote to fully in person and hybrid in between? The second in a bank is always the question is, what does the regulator think? Um, (laughs) And in some roles, we, you know, the regulator has been explicit, 
And so we have to follow those rules where the regulator has been explicit for traders uh, and for other things, especially in capital markets, where they've got to be in the office a certain number of days of the week. Um, I would say the third one is what are your beliefs in terms of inclusion? So, for example, if we if we think about um, accommodations for those with mm-hmm. physical disabilities or for those with health issues, you know, during the pandemic, especially you wanted to be very clear that anybody who was at all immunocompromised was able to work safely from home, things like that. I think you have to have a principle that says health and safety is most important. And certainly RBC, that has always been front and center for us. And then the fourth is is one around structure so that we will not just blindly go into this but we will apply some thought and some structure as a team and that's not so much a guardrail as it is a principle of how you will deploy hybrid but i think those those sorts of things are the types of things you want to think about in terms of providing a framework for your people managers to be successful yeah i mean really you know i like i love your you know failed model right if you're the hybrid without straw reels and the need to have these conversations and to not have a one size fits all. I mean, this, this is a lot of work. Are you getting feedback? You know, we'll turn to the future in a moment, but do managers mm-hmm. tell you like, oh my gosh, you know, this is just so much more work for me to manage <laughs> than I had pre-pandemic. Uh, I have to, I have to understand the guardrails. I have to meet with my team. I have to deal with the, you know, their demands or needs because I'm worried about losing talent. Like what, what is mm-hmm. the weight of this that you're, that managers are telling you they're taking or not? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's truthfully, I don't have anything data wise that I can say one way or the other right now. I'm, I'm looking forward to our engagement survey this year because we've really had time in hybrid and I think we'll, you know, we're going to hear from managers in that survey if if there's something there. I'll say, number one, I'll just answer. My own belief is hybrid is more work. Fundamentally, it is a more complex way of working, work arrangement. And inherently, that means more work. It's quite simple to just say you're always remote and let's or optimize around being remote or we're always in person. We're always going to optimize around being in person. The, the fact of hybrid that it is not only that you're in multiple different settings, but also that those settings can shift and be different across right. your team right. creates complexity and work. So I think it's almost axiomatic that the manager has right. more work. My challenge has been is I don't see that managers are actually always uniformly stepping into that with intention and accountability for the work. Um, and so, you know, anecdotally, what I hear from managers is if they put the effort in, the rewards are there. They see the value of it. They see the benefits they get from structure and taking the time to have those discussions with their team and holding their teams accountable to sort of the principles that they've agreed to. But to your point, early days, they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, you know, right. it's kind of like the agile journey that way. Right. right? You start to set OKRs and you have your you know, ceremonies, your huddles, your routines and things like that. And you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much work and I don't see the benefit. But then suddenly four or five or six months later, you're just like, oh my gosh, we are faster. You're getting more done. The output has like increased by 50%. It's Hmm. just this amazing thing. You got to commit to it because it's a change. And that maybe is the best way to say it. It's change management, which you know I love. Oh, yes. And it's like (laughs) change management takes work. It takes work on the manager to really drive and sustain a change. So, So that's, I mean, to me, they're the linchpin to this. Uh, senior leaders can say, you know, whatever they want. Employees are going to feel whatever they feel. 
and it's up to the manager right. to step in there translate. and bring those two things together, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, for sure. But I think you're right. You know, it is, it's setting the guardrails, but then, you know, the, the alternative to not having those conversations is, you know, lack of structure and lack of leadership. So it really does, exactly. as you said, create the opportunity. So let, let's mm-hmm. just turn to the final question. What are the conversations that need to happen in the next six months to continue to, as you said, manage the change and embed this? What are you encouraging executives and managers to be doing in the months ahead? Mm-hmm. So there is a conversation we need to have that I think back to your question says, are we clear and comfortable with the expectations that we've set? Right. And do we feel that they are specific and clear enough to not, you know, you know, you don't want to make something too complicated, but at the same time, allow for the individual types of work and the individual businesses to flex within that model appropriately for the work that they do. So that's number one. And, I, and we're, we're having that conversation, I would say now, and that's been an ongoing conversation, I'm sure many companies for the last 12 months as we've sort of grappled with this new way of working. I think then the second sort of conversation has to be a conversation between senior leadership and that middle management, which is, look, here's we're really relying on you and and we need you to help us out here to help us make this work. Um, Here are the things that we're worried about. Here are the things that we believe will help address those concerns we see, whether it's concerns relative to culture and trust and connectiveness or concerns relative to development and mentorship or concerns relative to creativity and innovation, all of which you hear many senior leaders say is what they're concerned about with remote work and, and, and or unstructured hybrid. And I think we have to enroll our people managers in the cause a little bit more than we have and really focus on that. And then, as we've been saying, the the real meat of the conversation is going to be with people managers and their teams saying, all right, we're going to do this and we're going to do this right. And we're going to have to go with this together and figure it out together and then work on it and work on it and work on it and check in and see how it's going. And you know, it's a, it's a major change effort. Um, and, uh, and so those are the three types of conversations I think we're going to have. Um, you know, I think they're, they're iterative to a certain degree. We're obviously always sort of trying to course correct as we learn more and see what's working and not working. I think you'll see a little bit more sort of celebration of successes in sort of the variety of different ways that we work. Um, because we need to shout out and, and highlight places where people have really figured it out and, and, and share those stories. Yeah, well, like your team, right, where you've had that structure and people have embraced it. And I know from talking to people mm-hmm. on your team that they know when they come in that people will be there or their clients will be there and that they'll be able to have that connection and that yet yeah, you don't have to be there all the time. So you really do have to design. I think, you know, that's what I'm I'm taking away. You know, it's not enough to say back to the office. You know, first, you have to figure yeah. out what you're really after. Second, Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to engage in dialogue with your employees Mm -hmm. to balance that imperative with their unique needs and to do so with understanding of they as individuals, but also the roles that they occupy. And third, you really have to engage your managers in this process. And it won't be easy, Mm -hmm. but at some point, as you said, it will click and it will be Mm -hmm. it will become 
internalized. So I, I'm guessing you're you're hoping that will be sooner than later at the bank. And, yeah, because you've got a real business to run as well. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, it's one of those things where where we're already doing it, you already see it clicking, right? And and it's really just now for us about getting to that consistently across the organization as much as we can. And then the benefits are material, right? The benefits are great for employees if you can really make that structured, hybrid, and flexible way of working operate and and be the great experience for them. It's great for businesses because when you look at now the research on this, the increases in productivity, the increases in output, but also just the benefits to culture and connection are measurable and, and material if you do this right. And so I, I actually, I mean, that's the, that's the opportunity at the end of the day. There's a, business in, there's a business opportunity here in terms of performance that if we do it right, we can really get a lot out of it. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great way to, to close on this, you know, that there is a huge opportunity here. There is a great mm-hmm. chance for companies and for leaders to connect their people and yet still accommodate the flexibility that we know is is important to people, but it really does depend on leadership, does depend on the ability to communicate as a leader with intention be, and uh, to balance the needs of the organization with the unique needs of your team. And so I think, you know, it is a leadership communication challenge that you've articulated really well here in, uh, in the journey. So yeah, very uh, good, good for anyone listening who says, how do I do it? It's, it's how you yeah. are intentional around it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, back to our second close. We did a second intro, so we should do a second close as a coda. Reflecting on our conversation that we had a month ago, any parting thoughts for this meandering journey towards a return to work and, and what the future holds for RBC? Yeah, I think when you kicked us off on this second time, Bart, you talked about the importance of the sort of care and thought and heart that goes into these types of decisions And in my reflection of all of this, I think it's really easy to talk about what we believe to be a rational or logical argument for these things. But I think we have to remember that for many of us, these are impacting us in more intensely personal or emotional ways as well. Um, And so as we go forward, that's certainly something that I'm thinking about is how do we inject more and more of that emotional resonance and and inspirational resonance behind what we're doing and, and why it's important for us to uh, to really continue to double down on our effectiveness in hybrid, but also recognizing the importance of the in-person time and the ability to build those strong relationships of trust. Well, I'm sure as you say, it is emotional. It's emotional for people in ways both positive and challenging. But I think just the intentionality that you and the bank are showing around it will go a long way. So I wish you all success. And I think I thank you for sharing your story. I think there are a lot of leaders out there who are going to listen to this and take a lot away as they make their intention around this future of work in the hybrid world. So, Alan, thanks for your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alan and uh, the fact that we had to record a second intro and second outro in the weeks, not months, between the time that we record and the time we publish shows, just how quickly norms are changing and organizations are adapting to this world of hybrid. Really uh, appreciate the openness and the humility that, uh, that Alan showed and a lot to take away for any leader in this hybrid world. 
If you enjoyed the pod, please rate and review. Always helps us get noticed. And tune in in two weeks for my conversation with William Kilmer. William is a venture capitalist, an investor, and a strategist. And he's written a new book called Transformative about how to build and implement a successful strategy. And we come at his book through the lens of culture and leadership and communication. He's got some very practical guys drawing on uh, his research and his work. So hope you enjoy that and uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for joining